What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 24 of Chatter Up. Three episodes after we've become legal. Pretty cool, no? Yeah, Bobby, this is, I'm going to be honest, this is a tough show to do. It was hard for me to come in. I thought about phoning it in. I have to look at your smug face knowing that, barring a miracle, you're going to beat me in fantasy football this week. But I have a responsibility to the listeners. So I'm here. I'm in a good place. Let's go. You're here. I'm here. We are the hosts of this show. Myself, Bobby Rubin, and of course, the phenom, the dead man from Death Valley, the legend, the man affectionately known as The Undertaker, Jared Wiesel. The Undertaker is ready to rise again. Let's do this. We have an awesome jam-packed episode for you guys this week. Another What Did I Miss? You'll hear some excellent trivia. We also have a fantastic interview with Mets beat writer Anthony DeComo on his new book, The Captain, all about David Wright. You won't want to miss it. Right, Jared? 1,000%, Bobby. And if you're certain that you'll enjoy this, head on over to Apple Podcasts, give us a rate, review, subscribe. Do it now. Pause it right now. I'm serious. Pause the episode right now and go and do that. Did you do it? Good. Excellent. Thank you so much for doing that. I'm ready. You're ready. Everyone's ready. And let's chatter up. Here we go, man. A huge week in sports. A champion was crowned. We're starting to approach the halfway mark of the NFL season. Another champion is on the verge of being crowned, or at least on the way. I mean, Jared, this was, this was a huge week. Tell us, what did we miss? Indeed it was, Bobby. You mentioned it at the top there. And let's start at the proverbial mountaintop with the crowning of the Los Angeles Lakers as this year's NBA champions Bubble edition. The Lakers win their 17th title in franchise history, tying the Celtics for the most all-time in the NBA. LeBron James wins his fourth NBA Finals MVP. Let's just note that one of us correctly predicted Lakers in six. I'll leave it to the listeners to remember who that was. Nicely done. But Bobby, did you enjoy this series? And what do you think overall of the whole NBA bubble playoffs saga? I think in terms of... Did I actually enjoy it? The answer is yes. I mean, and on so many levels, you know, we waited for so long for there to be sports. We've had delays in sports. We've had leagues try to go to bubble formats. And like, bigger picture here, even beyond the Lakers, they never had a positive test. I mean, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. And hats off to everybody in the NBA who planned this, who made it happen, to the players who clearly stuck to protocols, and most importantly, to Adam Silver. To do this and to do it successfully without any hiccups is nothing short of a miracle. And, and this, you know, we, we, we said it months ago, but like, this is the standard. They did it and every other league was challenged to follow suit. And, and it, was, it was really something. Just regarding the finals themselves, yeah, I was pretty entertained. I would have liked to have seen both teams healthy for the right. entire series. Would it have been different? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe the Lakers still win. They were up 30 in game six. So, you know, who knows if anything would have changed. But you got to watch one of, if not the greatest player of all time, do his thing. Yeah, it's a weird series a little bit because it was bookended by two blowouts. You know, the Lakers took it to the heat in game one and game six. And then kind of every game in between 
was a close competitive game. In terms of LeBron James himself, a lot of people will say that LeBron James is the best player of all time. And if you have that opinion, that's, I think, completely legitimate. It's an argument that you can make a compelling case for. I think if you're of that opinion, I don't know that this series did anything to change that. Like, you probably already felt that. I don't know if there are that many people after this series that now say, now that LeBron won his fourth title, he's the best ever. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Mm -hmm. those people already held that opinion. And if you don't think he's the best ever, which also very valid opinion, and I think that's probably the predominant opinion, I don't know that LeBron is ever going to be able to do anything to change that. Even if he wins two more championships, there are people that are always going to say, well, he's lost in the finals six times, so he can never be the greatest player ever. And so he's in this like weird state right now where it feels like his legacy is almost already cemented. He can't do that much more to change it, which is strange, right? It's such an interesting take because now that you're saying that right now, this is the first time I'm hearing you say that, there's a lot of merit to that, right? Like if he goes on, and let's say he wins the next three NBA finals and wins finals MVPs, each of those, he'll have seven, he'll have surpassed Jordan on championships and on finals MVPs. And even so, people will be like, well, Jordan went 100%, six for six in the finals. And that would mean that LeBron would have gone, what, seven for 13, I guess that would be. And so, yeah, I mean... There's no way to get past that. And it's just like two sides of the coin. On one side, you're like, he went to 10 finals. You know how hard it is to get to one, let alone 10? Right. And he's won four championships. That's nothing to sneeze at. And yet, he went to 10 finals and lost six. You know, it's just glass half full, glass half empty. I think there's no debate. One of the top three, probably top two of all time, He did it again. He did it with a third team. He is now the third or actually fourth player with Danny Green to now win a championship with three different teams. It's an incredible accomplishment. And with all of the hype that went into it, I mean, you look at a team like the Clippers, they folded under the pressure. LeBron didn't. Granted, he had AD, but like we spoke about this before. After AD, who's the best player there? Are there right. any Lakers? You're going to take Kuzma? You're going to take Rondo? You're going to take Dwight Howard? Danny Green? Like, I, I don't know, man. It's a bunch of, not scrubs. I'm not going to say they're scrubs, but a bunch of role players. Right. There's nobody there that I would be like, wow, that guy can take over a game. And they never did. They never did. It was always LeBron and AD. And clearly they were good enough to do it. Hats off to the Lakers. Hats off to Jacob, our, our friend Jacob. Shout out. Yep. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Huge, huge win for him. And like, you know, can they do it again? I wouldn't put it past them. They're currently the betting favorites in Vegas. Yeah. I mean, at this point, even if you are the biggest LeBron hater out there, if you're Skip Bayless, let's just name the guy. If you're Skip Bayless, how could you possibly bet against LeBron James? The guy's been in the league 17 years, and you can argue for the last, what, 13 of them, he's been the best player in the NBA. And that has just continued year after year after year. I think human nature leads you to believe at some point that will stop. But I don't want to be the guy to make the call of when it's going to be. It's hard to bet against the guy. And also, like, just quickly, I don't want this to get lost. The Miami Heat deserve the utmost praise for what they were able to accomplish. Led by Jimmy Butler, but across the board. Bam was great. Hero was great. Robinson was great. Like, Eric Spolstra. I mean, what a run. And, and, and what's sad about this is that in a couple of years, this probably won't be remembered by very many people. The fact that Jimmy Butler put up two triple doubles in the final that really 
took the entire team on his back. And they made a run where no one else thought they would make a run. It's not that nobody's going to remember it, but, like, you're going to remember the champion. And this is going to get lost. But really, really, hats off to that team. What a run. Yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we kind of talked about it last week with Jimmy Butler. But his performance in this finals reminded me of LeBron a few years ago with the Cavs against Golden State when Kyrie and Kevin Love were injured and didn't play in that whole series. And, you know, LeBron just took that team on his shoulders and and willed it to a couple of victories the same way that Jimmy Butler did and ultimately lost to a more talented team. It's such an interesting career arc for Jimmy Butler. I'm not going to call this his coming out party because we already knew that he was a top 20 player, a star Mm -hmm. in the league, Mm -hmm. but he's 31 years old now. This is not like Jamal Murray, you know, at 25, 24, 25, whatever he is now coming out and like establishing himself as a star. Jimmy Butler He's in his prime, but it's like the back end of his prime, right? You're not, we're not right. going to, in five right. years, Jimmy Butler's in all likelihood not going to be one of the 15 best players in the NBA. It's such an interesting career arc. But listen, in the short term, next year, I don't see any reason why the Heat can't be back in the finals. Yeah, totally. Last thing on this before I let it go. Do you think this championship was more difficult to win because of the bubble? Is it diminished because they were in the bubble? Or is it really just like a completely different set of circumstances? I definitely don't think it's diminished. If anything, I think you can make the argument that it was harder to do than a regular championship given everything going on. I mean, you know, they they didn't play for, what, two, three months. Then they go into this weird environment where there's no fans, no family. It's just a totally different kind of world than everything that they're used to. And so I, I definitely don't think it's diminished. If anything, it deserves an asterisk. I think I heard Mark Jackson say this, like, for being even more valuable than a regular championship. Fair point. Hats off to the Lakers. Hats off to the champions. And as we start to talk about champions, Jared, the MLB playoffs are going on. We are officially in the championship series. The Rays beat the Yankees in the division series in a crucial fifth game, which you and I threw an extravagant Rager banger party in celebration of the Yankees loss. Hallelujah. My Oakland Athletics fell to the cheating, absolute drudgery of the earth, Houston Astros, so the Rays, Astros, and the ALCS. And then on the National League side, the Dodgers and Braves pretty handedly handled their competition and are now meeting in the NLCS. Thoughts on these series, thoughts on the Division Series, the World Series, what do you got for me, Jared? Yeah, before we start to talk about the League Championship Series, and you mentioned the Rays took Game 1 already, so they're up one nothing in that best of seven. Dodgers-Braves begins Monday night. Let's just take a minute to dance on the graves of the 2020 New York Yankees because there are a few things that you and I like to do more than that. Props to the Rays. They spend a third of the amount of money that the New York Yankees do on their payroll. They don't have the ability to go out and just pay Garrett Cole $320 million to pitch the biggest game of the season for them. I think a lot of Yankee fans were supremely confident after winning game four and knowing that Garrett Cole was on the mound for game five that they would beat the Rays, and that did not happen. Cole pitched well, five and a third innings, gave up one earned run on a home run to Austin Meadows, something that's plagued him all season. And how sweet was the revenge for Mike Brasso who had a 102-mile-an-hour fastball thrown at his head by Raldis Chapman a few weeks ago, it only helped to reinvigorate this rivalry between the Rays and the Yankees. And here we are about a month later. Brasso hits the game-winning home run off of Chapman in the eighth inning of Game 5, and the Rays are moving on. Bobby, 
Any thoughts on what the Rays were able to accomplish, this proverbial David against Goliath in the American League Division Series? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is great. The Rays, the lower market team, overcome the big market team. And, and this is, you know, what people talk about when you talk about a salary cap, right? That like, oh, it's not fair, you know, any argument that's ever made. And this is the argument against that, that like the Rays are able to overcome this every single year. And it's fascinating, you know. If I had to ask you right now, name the top three hitters in Tampa Bay's lineup, who would you say? A Rosarena? And then what? It's crazy. I mean, honestly, you look at that lineup, really nobody scares you other than a Rosarena, and that's like a, that's a new phenomenon, yeah. right? Like he was hot as hell in the division series. You'd ask me two days before, I'd have been like, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. And that's also not to take away from the Yankees. Like, they haven't bought their entire team. You know, Judge came up, Torres they got and developed, right. Voigt's there, Urshela, you know, name your favorite guy. The team is good. And the fact that they lost signals clearly a gap somewhere. Now, quick question before we leave the Yankees alone until next year forever because they need to be buried. A lot of Yankees fans are holding Aaron Boone accountable for his decision to pull Davey Garcia from game two in lieu of J.A. Happ. And they lost. And that was a crucial game. Do you hold Aaron Boone accountable for that and for potentially losing the series? Or is this just like, look, you got outplayed by a better team? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a lazy narrative. First of all, I don't blame Boone in the sense that I think that was definitely an organizational decision. I doubt that a guy like Aaron Boone, and don't get me wrong, he definitely buys into the analytic. He's very much a believer in that system. But I doubt a guy like Aaron Boone, who's been around baseball his entire life, came up with that idea on his own and went to the front office with it. I'm sure that was planned by the Yankees analytics department. But at the same time, and I, and I understand why that's so frustrating for people. Now, if it, if it had gone the other way and Hat pitches a great game and the Yankees win, I'm sure exactly. people are saying, like, oh, wow, what an amazing yep. move. Yep. But it came down to game five. It was a 2-2 series. The Yankees had their best pitcher, the guy they paid $320 million for on the mound. And he pitched well. I'm not blaming this on Garrett Cole. But my point is, before the series started, I went to a Yankees fan and said, all right, you can sign right now for 2-2 game five, Garrett Cole on the mound, even pitching on three days rest. They all would have signed for that and been confident they were going to win. So to go back now and say like, oh, that, I can't believe we, you know, we lost because of game two, taking out Davey Garcia. Like, I, I understand it, but I, I think it's a bit lazy. I agree. I think it's a bit lazy. I think Yankees fans are a bit lazy. I think the organization is lazy. And I can't wait to never have to talk about them ever again until what, March? It's great. And switching over to the other side of the bracket here, we have the Dodgers and the Braves in the National League Championship Series. And in terms of storylines, Bobby, I think the Astros-Rays is the sexier series. You have the Rays, who we just talked about, is it's David versus everybody else who's kind of like a Goliath. Mm-hmm. And the Astros, I don't need to get into it much, known cheaters, okay? And whether you want to say other, people, other teams were cheating too, that's fine. The Astros are the face of cheating in Major League Baseball and maybe across sports at the moment, although I guess he'd put the Patriots there. But the Astros come into the, se- the season. Everybody hates them. They don't play well in the regular season. They finish below 500. They sneak into the playoffs. They take care of the Twins in the first round. They take care of your Oakland Athletics in the second round. And here they are in the American League Championship Series with a chance to get back to the World Series. That is as sexy a storyline as you're going to get, with the exception of maybe the Yankees playing them. But... In terms of what is actually probably a better series, I think you would agree it's Dodgers-Braves, right? These are probably the two best teams in the National League over the course of the season. The Dodgers have maybe been the best team in baseball cumulatively for the last decade and have nothing to show for it. 
And the Braves are a team that I think has really been underappreciated the last few years. They have a great lineup. Pitching has always been the question mark for them, especially after losing Mike Soroka. But now they've got Max Free. They've got Ian Anderson. These guys are pitching well in big spots for them. Do you think that continues against the Dodgers? Yeah, I, I saw an interesting stat, and I, I don't want to misquote it, so don't hold my feet to the fire on this one. But it was like the Dodgers and the Braves are first and second in the National League in home runs and runs scored for the year. And this is only like the fifth time that's happened in a league championship series, which I thought was super interesting. And so it almost feels like this is going to be a slugfest. I'm really interested to see it. Both teams have great pitching going on right now. You know, Kershaw is Kershaw. And the question right. is, is like, you know, can, can Kershaw finally get the monkey off his back? I do think that the Dodgers are the better team. I do think the Dodgers come out of this probably in six, maybe as early as five. But the Braves are a great team. And if they wind up winning the series, it's because they're mashing. If Acuna is swinging and Freeman is swinging and Albies is swinging and they're really getting into it, that's a tough, tough out every time. You know, that order, contrary to what we were talking about with the Rays, you know, the Rays don't scare you at all. Most of the Braves lineup scares me, you know, like even like yep. Adam Duvall when it comes to the play, like he can mash too. Like, I don't know. Marcelo Zuna is a guy I haven't even named and he almost won the triple crown. It's crazy. I, I am really looking forward to it. I'm taking the Dodgers in six, but it's going to be so fun to watch. Okay. Who you have on the AL side? Every piece of me wants to hope that the, the Astros lose. It's hard to bet against them right now. Like they keep wow. winning. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unfortunately take the Astros in the ALCS, which sets up a very interesting Dodgers-Astros World Series, and hopefully the Dodgers get their revenge. Rob Manfred will be throwing a party if that mm-hmm. happens. If you get Dodgers-Astros rematch in the World Series, man, MLB will love that. It will be unbelievably entertaining. The ratings will go through the roof. But, Jared, we're running out of time. Let's do this PTI style, huh? Let's run through it. Some NFL headlines. Hit me. Okay, Bobby. We're not going to rehash this whole thing. We'll just do this quick. How happy were you when you saw Tom Brady put up those four fingers at the end of the Bucks bears game, signaling that he thought it was fourth down coming up? Turns out they'd already turned the ball over on downs, leading to another Bucks loss. If this were any other quarterback, literally any other quarterback, the media would have had a field day ripping them to shreds. But it's Tom Brady. So everybody says, oh, he's human. It was a mistake. No, it's not a mistake. You are on the final drive of the game, your last chance to win, and you can't put it away. Not, not the least of which is to say that he wasn't even able to put up more than 19 points against the Bears, who are not good. No matter what their record says, they're not good. I was thrilled. I peed my pants. It was fantastic to watch him not have any idea what was going on, go to three and two and further begin to prove my nine and seven playoff with bucks. I was there. I can attest that there was pee on the floor. It was fantastic. Jared, in more tragic news, Dak Prescott gets a compound fracture in his ankle, leaves the game out for the season. Huge blow for the Cowboys. Parallel to that, almost at the same time, you had the return of Alex Smith, who also went down two years ago with a compound fracture. Thoughts on the Prescott-Smith storyline? You feel terrible for Dak. 
it's a gruesome injury. It, it's not like it was on a, a hard hit or like a play you'd expect someone to be hurt on. Just a regular football play that, that ended really badly. I thought it was really cool to see the, the first thing Dak did upon hitting the ground was actually try to like bang his foot back mm-hmm. into place, which mm-hmm. I think shows you how much of a competitor that this guy is. That like the first reaction was not like, oh my God, my foot is like facing the wrong way. I need to get out of this game was like, can I bang this back into place so that I can keep playing? It sucks. It's, you know, the reason we talk about this all the time, why I will never get on an NFL player for trying to get paid because the nature of the game is just, you're always one play away from a catastrophic injury. And, and, you know, hopefully Dak's going to be fine, but you never know. And, and, And to the other end, speaking of Alex Smith, it's an amazing story. We touched on it on the preseason. This guy was so close to having his leg literally amputated, like not walking again on that leg. And here we are two years later and he's playing in an NFL game, you know, not as like this nice story charity case where they just have him on the roster for symbolic purposes. He played in an NFL game that mattered. Like and his team went to him and he showed up. It's an incredible story. It's awesome that his family was able to be in the building. There are few people in the league that are as respected, I think, as Alex Smith. And so, look, you know, is he going to lead the Washington football team to a Super Bowl and turn this into a Disney movie? Doubtful. But regardless, if he does nothing else the rest of the season of his career, it's awesome that he was able to come back and, and go out, you know, hopefully on his own yeah, terms. Uh, I'll just say really quickly, with Prescott out, I have no idea what happens to this division. I mean, you're literally taking one of the top three most talented people in that entire division and taking him out. So I have no idea what happens. This is ridiculous. You know what, though? Good move by the Cowboys to bring in I Andy agree. Dalton this offseason. He's as capable a backup as there is in the, in the league. And so I'm not out on the Cowboys for the division yet. We're about a third of the way through the season now, Bobby. There are a number of teams that are overachieving and in turn a number of teams underachieving. Who's been your biggest surprise a third of the way yeah, through? Yeah, I'm going to take the road less traveled here. I'm going to say the biggest surprise is the Carolina Panthers. They lose out on arguably the best running back in the game for what will amount to be at least, what, four weeks and as many as six. And then bring in Mike Davis, who it's like McCaffrey never left. And this team is three and two with what quarterback? Teddy Bridgewater? Bridgewater is not a real quarterback. That guy was great in college and is barely sustainable in the NFL. And he's doing well. That team is doing well. I don't know how they're three and two, but. If McCaffrey comes back and they can figure out a way to integrate McCaffrey and Davis at the same time, I mean, that's that's a tough team to beat, apparently. Yeah, amazing job by Matt Rule so far. That He came into that as a total rebuild, and here we are five weeks in, and the Panthers are 3-2. and two. That's awesome. I'm going to go with the Las Vegas Raiders, mm-hmm. Bobby. I'll stay mm-hmm. on the positive side. We've, I mean, if I was going to go with the bad team, it would be the Eagles, but I'm going to go with the Raiders here, give them some love. Coming off a massive win against the Chiefs yesterday, they go to three and two. I think a lot of people a couple of years ago laughed at John Gruden when he got that job and, and traded Khalil Mack, and everyone thought, like, this guy's just in over his head now. And while I don't think he's worth the contract that they gave him, it's time to give him some props, right? The Raiders are three and two, and they look to be heading on the right track going towards the future. They're not going to beat out the Chiefs for that division. They're not going to come out of the AFC, but they are certainly in the driver's seat to get a playoff spot. Now that the playoffs have been expanded specifically, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Raiders in there and look, they've beaten the chiefs. They've beaten the saints. It's not like they've beaten just cupcakes. So time for me to give John Gruden his due and I'm going to go with the Raiders. Yeah, it's also time for him to wear a mask a little bit more frequently. Finally, 30 seconds, Jared, let's just call it really quick. Dan Quinn out as the Falcons head coach. You know how I feel about firings mid season. I'm never a fan, right move or wrong move. Right move. I'm, he was my chump of the week. A couple of weeks ago. Look, He's probably a good coach, but it was just time for a change. The Falcons 
just look lifeless. They're 0-5 now. They've pretty much looked lifeless since the Super Bowl. And so I just think at this point, like, what's the point of keeping Dan Quinn unless you're just trying to lose games? I feel the same way about Dan Snyder. Jared, we are joined now by Anthony DiComo. He is currently a Mets beat writer for MLB.com and has been featured on SNY and the MLB Network. And perhaps most importantly, he's the author of the brand new book, The Captain, the memoir from the last Mets captain, David Wright, one of the most admired players in recent MLB history. Anthony, how's it going? Doing well. How are you? No complaints on this end, especially with the MLB playoffs, which we thought, you know, might might not even happen, right? Yeah, just like the season itself. It's uh, it's always a good thing when uh, in my book when baseball's going on. So happy to see it. We completely agree. So I guess let's just dive right in. So what what brought you to write a book about and with David Wright? Well, uh, I've covered David since I started in this business in 2007. He was already at that point an established star on the Mets uh, when I came along. And over the years, you know, I, I think I realized two things. One was that this was, you know, uh, one of the most important players in, in Mets history. He was a guy that a generation of fans, multiple generations of fans really looked up to. Um, he had a career arc that I think lends itself to this sort of thing. You know, this is a guy who went through, who had obviously a lot of natural talent, but also went through a lot of adversity. And in so doing, he sort of defined himself as a player, um, as someone that you know, fans could rally behind. And, and then on top of that, I think the other thing is that, you know, I built a relationship with him over a decade plus of covering him and, you know, realized that this is a good dude and a guy that would be good to work with and this and that. So, you know, when I got to the end of his career, I approached him about the project. Um, I didn't know what form it would take. I actually did not really think that it would be a memoir. I thought maybe I would just write a book about him. Um, but he was kind of on board. And the more we talked about it, the more uh, interested he got. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. It was over a year of of work, of writing, of interviews, countless interviews, countless hours of him, other people. So it was definitely a, a worthwhile project. And, and he was a pro throughout. Yeah, that's definitely not surprising, having followed his career. And I wonder, Anthony, how does David look back? What's his overall perspective on his career as a whole? Like I said, as someone who grew up watching him, he is the guy for me that, that I will always associate with the Mets in the way that you know older Mets fans associate Tom Seaver with the Mets. He had so many great moments, and yet such a big part of it is what could have been. For a while, it looked like he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and that was obviously derailed by the injuries, specifically the spinal stenosis. So how does he look back on his career as a whole? Yeah, I, I think it's complicated. He, you know, this is a guy who, as you mentioned, was on a Hall of Fame career arc for a while. And obviously the injuries did interfere. I think, you know, the further removed he gets from his career, and it's been a couple of years now. And I think in a way, the book writing process kind of took him through this a little bit in that he can look at it from a different perspective. But you know, I think he realizes that just because you were on that arc for a while doesn't mean that's necessarily what you're going to do for 20 years. And, and one of the things that David, you know, has mentioned that he wasn't the most physically talented guy as far as, you know, first round draft picks go. He wasn't that uber can't miss prospects coming up the ladder. He was, you know, in his eyes, just another dude. I think in a lot of other people's eyes, he was a lot more than that. But, but the point is, you know, he 
truly believes that he maximized you know his god-given ability he maximized his career what he was able to do um i think that was such a big part of why he went so hard at the end in terms of both in 2015 and in 2018 trying to get back to the field trying to really drag his body to the point where it could not give any more uh he did that and as a result you know one of the things that he never wanted was to look back and say well if I had just done this a little bit more, a little bit harder, uh, you know, maybe we would have won a World Series or maybe I would have had one more great year. Or maybe I would have been a Hall of Famer as opposed to just have had a few Hall of Fame caliber years. Uh, you know, he did kind of maximize what he could do. He got all that he could out of his career. And I think he looks back on that aspect of it with with a lot of pride. You know, David Wright seems to be the model player on the field and off the field and kind of almost like a once in a generation kind of guy is, is there anybody in the Mets organization specifically that you could see being the next David Wright or filling those shoes moving forward in the future? Yeah. I, you know, yes, but to sit here right now and christen someone on the current roster as the next captain, for example, which I know people love to do. Uh, I don't think it's that easy because I think when you get to a spot yeah, you know, like David Wright was named captain in 2013, and at the time he had just signed a long-term deal. He had made it so clear that he wanted to be a Met for life. It was, you know, obvious that he was going to be, and and more than that, it was obvious that he kind of already was the captain. He didn't necessarily have the title yet at that point, but you ask anyone who is the face of this franchise, who is the heartbeat of the clubhouse, who is the guy who deserves. Uh, that title of captain and you wouldn't get any hesitation. So, you know, maybe Pete Alonso gets to be that place someday. Maybe Michael Conforto gets to play, be to that place someday. Uh, you know, it's complicated with pitchers. I think there's some pushback when you talk about pitchers being captain, but, you know, maybe Jacob deGrom, you know, kind of already is that guy in a certain sense. Uh, so on the one hand, I don't think you necessarily need the title of captain to be that guy. On the other hand, I, I think, it almost cheapens it, uh, you know, when you talk about, and this is no disrespect to Pete Alonso, for example, but coming off his rookie season, people talking about him as being a future captain. I think it's the title is so much more than that. It needs to be more than, you know, one year. It needs to be a, a career, a lifetime of being that guy to the point where when it happens, you say, well, duh, of course this guy's the captain. You talked about, Anthony, that, that long grind that David went through you know, the last years of his career trying to get back on the field. Can you talk a little bit about what led to that final game in 2018, kind of how that, you know, idea came to be? Was that something that David went to the franchise with to just play that last game or, or you know, did it happen some other way? Yeah, it was a pretty turbulent time for David because that whole summer he, you know, had it in his mind that he was going to come back and he was going to be, you know, uh, if not a regular player, at least some sort of impactful player for the Mets coming off the bench, doing something, uh, helping them get to the playoffs. And, you know, as he went through the summer and the injuries just wouldn't go away, he tried to force himself onto a rehab assignment and it just didn't go the way he wanted to. He, he did not feel like a major league baseball player. And it reached the point by August where, you know, he was finally willing to admit to himself that this, that it just wasn't going to happen. Um, and that was a big, that was a big moment because until that point, everything that had gone wrong, the back, the neck, the shoulder, 
three surgeries, all sorts of, you know, aborted comeback attempts, everything that had gone wrong for the guy. He'd never uh, admitted to himself that this was the end, that he wasn't going to be able to do it. So when he finally did that in 2018, that was kind of the first thing that popped into his head was, I've done so much. I've come so close. I've, I've willed my body to this point where, you know, I can play in games and it hurts and I can't really do that much, but I, you know, I'm 95% of the way there and it's all I got. So at least let me take this chance and say goodbye to the Mets fans. And that's what kind of resulted in that memorable night, that one final night at city field. And, you know, that's kind of the, the contradiction of his career is that, you know, if you asked him then in 2018, and if you ask him now, you know, were you satisfied with the way that things ended? The question, the answer is always going to be yes and no. And it's very much no in that he wanted so much more. He wanted to come back. He wanted to win a world series. He wanted to be an all-star caliber player again. So not being able to do that, you know, aided him, but realizing what we talked about earlier, that he was able to maximize, you know, what he was able to do in his career. And given that context, the fact that he was able to make it back and say goodbye in a way that really, you know, so few guys get, and that so few guys honestly even necessarily could get because of their stature within the game or a fan base. Um, David Wright had that stature. He had that importance, has that importance to the Mets and was able to do that thing. So given all that, you know, there is an element of closure. There's an element of satisfaction that he was able to at least, you know, go out in a small way on his terms. Given all of his incredible accomplishments, despite injury and all the things he's overcome, could you give us some insight as to what at least David Wright views as his greatest achievement or accomplishment in his career? Yeah, it's, it's reaching the World Series, hitting a home run in the World Series. It's it's not even close to him. As far as on-field things, um, you know, that's what he wanted from day one. That's what he finally got uh, towards the end of his career. And I think the fact that it didn't happen until the end of his career made him appreciate it so much more. You know, he came up. In 2004, and two years later, he was playing in the NLCS on, on the precipice of the World Series. And it was him, and it was Jose Reyes, and it was Carlos Beltran. And you had this young, exciting team. Uh, the Mets were pumping money into it. And it just seemed to him, like it seemed to all of us on the outside, that the Mets were going to be there every year, that they were going to be in the mix. And when it didn't happen in 2007, when it didn't happen in 2008, when the Mets started to go through some lean years after that, and David's body started to break down on him. All of those factors combined, you get back in 2015 and the perspective is totally different. So to be able to come back from a summer of rehab and from nine years of not making the playoffs and to get back in August, make the playoffs, go to the World Series, hit a home run in the World Series, that to him was the pinnacle. You know, as far as what he's most proud of, that's being named captain, no doubt, for, for all the reasons that we discussed earlier. Anthony, David signed his his eight-year contract with the Mets after the 2012 season, and that was the fourth losing season in a row for the Mets. It was the sixth in a row where they had make, made the playoffs. Um, and obviously, you know, winning is important to every player, I imagine. Did he ever think about leaving before he signed that contract? Was there ever a time that he, you know, came close to, to actually going somewhere else? No, it was always priority number one for him to stay. And that's not to say the thought 
never entered his mind because there was uncertainty whether the Mets, especially in the midst of, you know, these low payrolls, the Madoff scandal, all that stuff, if they were going to be willing and or able to give him, you know, a fair contract. And that's all he wanted. He didn't want the biggest uh, contract he could get. He didn't get the biggest contract he could get. His agents were in his ears saying, look, if you go to free agency, you can get X, Y, Z. And really looking back at it, uh, you know, that, that time was a pretty heady time for free agents. He wound up getting $138 million from the Mets. He probably could have gotten close to, if not more than 200 million, had he become a free agent. So, um, that was never his priority. His priority was, as a childhood Mets fan, wanting to be a Met for life. And, you know, if it hadn't happened, if the Mets hadn't been interested in, in making that happen, uh, you know, he would have gone elsewhere. He probably would have had a nice end to his career elsewhere. Um, and he would have been disappointed by it and wouldn't have been quite the same. So, you know, I, I think looking from, you know, the perspective of, from the benefit of, of seeing this from the outside, I think we all knew that it was probably always going to end this way with David Wright being a lifelong Met. Um, but uh, I don't think he was quite so sure all the time. He was hopeful, but I don't think he knew without a shadow of a doubt that that was going to take place. To become the face of a franchise is, you know, a life's work. And it's very hard to do and even harder when you're doing it on your own. Who are some of the players that David credits with showing him the ropes and, and helping him to eventually become that face of the franchise for the Well, Mets? he came up in 2004, and that was, you know, Mike Piazza was, you know, star of that team. Tom Glavin was in that clubhouse. Um, Cliff Floyd was in that clubhouse. You had this veteran team of guys who immediately from day one, they took David under his wing. Uh, you know, the one who probably stands above all others is Joe McEwing. Um, as a guy who literally lived in the same building with David, David would go at, go over there, you know, on Sundays after the game and Joe McEwing and his wife would cook for David. And it, through all of this, um, you know, you're talking about guys who uh, are still prominent in the game today because they were impactful veterans. They were respected baseball people. And that's the culture that David walked into. So he was not, you know, he was a leader for sure. Obviously he was the captain. He became one of the most important leaders uh, that the team has had in, in decades, but his natural personality is not to go in a room and be that rah-rah guy and be the center of attention. Um, He was very much the, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to look around this clubhouse and see all these veteran guys. And I'm going to, you know, soak up as much as I can from them, but kind of stay out of the way. And, and that's what he did. And he soaked it up. And then when those guys started leaving and, you know, within a few years, most of them were gone. And then Carlos Beltran leaves and Carlos Delgado leaves and Paul LaDuca leaves and whoever else. And all of a sudden you look up and you're one of the older, longer tenured guys in the room and you're a star and people are looking to you. Well, he had built that foundation by that point that he understood how to lead. And, and he never became that you know, I'm going to yell and scream and, and give a rah-rah speech and this and that. But he, you know, was so impactful with his words that when when he did speak, people listened because it was it, it was something that was important to say. Um, so it's funny when he got when the Mets told David that he was going to be named captain in, 2015, in 2013, that they wanted to name him captain. He said, thanks, but. I'm not accepting this until I go around the room and speak individually 
with every single member of the team, whether that's, you know, someone who has been on the roster for seven, eight years or someone who's a rookie who, you know, barely knows who I am. He went around and he talked to every single one of them. And, you know, once he got their blessing, and this was in spring training, so there were probably about 50 guys in the room at that point. <laughs> and once he got their blessing, only then was he, you know, willing to go forward with it. So that kind of speaks to, yeah, a, a lot of what he learned over the previous 10 years of his career. Last winter, when the Mets were looking for a new manager, there was a lot of talk amongst Mets fans about the possibility of, of maybe David Wright taking that role. And I know he has kind of like an advisory role with the franchise now, but is being a manager, whether it's for the Mets or, or somebody else, is that something that you could see him doing sometime in the future, you know, maybe when his kids are a little older? I could not. Um, and, and look, that can change for sure once, you know, his kids go off to college or, or whatever and, and he becomes an empty nester. But I, I don't see him ever wanting the grind of baseball again. And, and that's what I think people don't understand when they say, oh, you could be a coach, you could be a manager. Uh, that's, you know, a, a huge portion of the year away from your family. That's, uh, you know, day games after night games and 162 games and spring training and playoffs. It's a, it's a monster commitment. And I don't really see David wanting that again after having done it for almost 20 years. So um, no to that. But as far as him being involved in some way, yes, I, I, I don't think he's ever going to be the guy that you look up in 10 years and be like, oh, I wonder what happened to David Wright. He'll, he'll be around. And right now he's in a front office advisory role and I would imagine he'll continue doing that. It's, it's very light. He doesn't do all that much right now. And perhaps that can expand in the future. Perhaps he can do a little more. I, I do think if he you know, wants to take on a more full-time role at some point down the road in the future, that's where it will come. Not, not, not in uniform in the dugout, but you know, wearing his khakis and polo shirt as a, as a front office guy. You know, unfortunately, there were some pretty tough moments for the team during his career. And I don't mean to rehash some open or reopen some wounds but I mean there was the you know 06 game seven loss there was the 07 collapse there was the 2015 world series loss is is there one in particular that keeps him up at night or like any any a series of several? 07 for sure um you know I think you look at 06 or he looks at 06 and you know on the one hand, that, that was his first taste of the playoffs, as I mentioned before. And it felt like at the time to him that they would be back every year. And the other part of that is, you know, they 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 got there in 06. They did, you know, they, they kind of, similar to what I was talking about earlier with his career, you know, David feels like the Mets got as far as they were going to go. Um, you know, after the Duaner Sanchez taxi cab accident, things started going wrong for that team. And then they ran up against a really good, Cardinals team that was a professional organization and they lost and he, he you know he always sees it as that like they, they gave their best and they lost in 2008 jumping ahead two years uh, that was another team that had some injuries down the stretch and in Milwaukee CeCe Sabathi was pitching out of his mind pitching every three days for the Brewers and you know he just felt like that was a roster that wasn't quite there and that ran out of steam and so that one doesn't necessarily keep him up at night. 2007, that's a different story. That is the one year where he says the word collapse, choke, whatever you want to call it, is, is totally fair because that was a World Series caliber team that in his mind should have made it. That was probably his best chance other than maybe 2015 to win a title. And for whatever reason, for reasons that you know he's still 
doesn't really know or can't really explain today. They they weren't able to do it, and they lost that seven-game lead with 17th play. And, yeah, so if, if there's one that haunts him, if there's one that he could go back and change, it would be uh, probably the same one as a lot of Mets fans, which is 2007. <laughs> if I could just ask you one general question about the team, Anthony, now that we have you on here. I, you know, you've been there for so long, I think, you know, over a decade now. And obviously a lot of Met fans are excited about the new ownership group coming in. You know, there's a, there's this expectation that Steve Cohen is going to spend a lot of money to bring free agents in. And I know, you know, you can't speak to that, but you know, having been there so long, it, it feels like hashtag LOL Mets has been, it comes up like multiple times a year on Twitter and it always comes back to, Oh, the Will Ponds just run this team terribly. You know, do you think that there will be, Will you be able to feel kind of a change in, in just like the day-to-day operation of the team? I mean, I think if you're a Mets fan, you have to hope so. And, and you know, it's hard for me to answer these questions because I've never met Steve Cohen. I don't, I don't know him. Um, you know, I, I, all I know is what I've read about him, which is, you know, A, that this is a very rich man. Uh, B, that obviously he has a lot of success on his resume of running businesses, of running them in a smart way, of running them in an analytic way. And those are all good things in terms of, quote unquote, changing the culture. So we'll see. I think there is this thought among at least some corners of the fan base that Steve Cohen's going to walk in on day one, snap his fingers, and everything's just going to be totally different. And it, it doesn't quite work that way. And, you know, if you're banking on your entire offseason on him coming in and signing Trevor Bauer and signing JT Real Muto and firing every single person that's currently working in the front office. Well, I, I think, you know, that's probably a little more fantasy than, than reality. Maybe something like that happens, but I think what's more important is, is regardless of what happens in his first 40 days on the job is that you start building. And this is, I think what you were referencing in your question, start building up the health of the infrastructure of the franchise. And you know, the example I always cite is you look at teams like the Yankees or especially the Dodgers. And, you know, these are teams that spend heavily on free agents. They spend heavily in international markets. They do all these things. But that's not really the reason why they're great every year. The reason why they don't have off years is because the infrastructure of the organization is so healthy. They pump so much money into their scouting, into their analytics, into all these behind the scenes things that if they're humming in the right way, you know, fans probably don't think about all that much. And, you know, those are the types of things that, that can change the culture and, you know, communications, public relations, all of those things. You know, if you can kind of change the culture from the ground up and have it be so that there is no LOL Mets and that, you know, we start joking about this. I remember how it used to be. Um, that's what does it far more than going out and all of a sudden, you know, turning into a $300 million payroll in year one. So we'll see how Steve Cohen handles it. We'll see. I'm as curious as anyone to see what happens when we go forward here. But, um, you know, I think just given his history uh, and his other businesses in terms of, uh, you know, the success that he's had, it can't be a bad thing. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for your time. We know you have a super busy schedule. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain coming out, on sale October 13th, wherever books are sold. Take care, Anthony. Thanks a lot. Bobby, you may be on your way to beating me in fantasy football this week. And Josh Allen, if you're out there listening, drop a 40-piece tomorrow night. It's not going to happen.
But you will not beat me in trivia this week. You have my word. And with that, let us bring in the master of all quizzes, the quiz master, Jeremy Tuck. Hey, guys. How you doing? I mean, I'm doing great. And also, all the pressure's on Jared now. That was pretty much a guarantee that he wins. So anything short of that is a failure for him and a massive success for me. Pressure right. makes diamonds, Bobby. All right, then. How are you guys on video games? Damn it. I should not have said all of that. <laughs> I have pretty good knowledge on sports video games. Very and good. And like other video games. Um, if this is a Fortnite quiz, just give it to him already. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I don't know head and tail out of Fortnite. This is actually about sports video games. Okay. Okay. There's a, there's I a like world, it. There's a world where I can compete in this. Yeah. Okay. So this is about cover athletes. I like it. Oh, boy. Okay. So we have three franchises here. We have MLB The Show, we have NBA 2K, and we have the big one, Madden NFL. We're going to go Stump the Schwab style. You're going to tell me, guys on the cover. Okay, and to be clear, we don't have to give you the year, just like anyone that's been on the cover. Anyone who's been on the cover, you do not have to give me the year. That's it. Clarification, there are certain games that have various editions per year. Is every edition included? No. I'm just going the main edition. You're probably talking about 2K when I was looking this up. There are like yep. legend versions and everything. I'm not going yep. that. Okay. Okay. We're just going to go with the regular off-the-shelf version of, in the United States. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're going to start with MLB The Show. The franchise began as the show in 2006. So we have a few guys. So, Jared, you won again last week. You have the option to kick or receive. Okay, I was always partial to MVP baseball, but mm. I imagine that Albert Pujols has been on the cover of the show at some point. All right, you're out. Wow, <laughs> wow, okay. He's Bobby. only one of the best right-handed hitters of the last 50 years. Okay, this is why I was an MVP baseball guy. That was quick. Bobby, if you get this one wrong, you guys are both going to go. So, Bobby, just go for your broke. Give me All right, let's, let's start with Bryce Harper. That's in 2019. Keep going. How about Javi Baez? Yep, that's this year's. How about David Ortiz? He was 2006, the OG. How about Jose Altuve? No. Oh, missed that one. They, okay. they tried it, but they threw it in the trash. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay, that was a quick first round. You guys missed a lot. Feel free to take a stab. It doesn't count. Throw out some names if you want. I'll give you the was, rest. Was A-Rod on there? Nope. How about Mike Trout? No, actually. Surprise. Okay, so two of the best right-handed hitters of the last 50 years not on the cover. This is why I will never play on the show. <laughs> you know what? I'm a PlayStation guy, and I've been very loyal to it. I love the show. We got Aaron Judge, Ken Griffey Jr., Josh Donaldson, Yasiel Puig, Miguel Cabrera, Andrew McCutcheon, Adrian Gonzalez, Joe Maurer twice, Dustin Pedroia, Ryan Howard, and David Wright. Let's just remember that Yasiel Puig yeah. <laughs> was on the cover of that game. Yeah, it says all it needs to. Unbelievable. He was good once. Yeah. Anywho, on to 2K, where Bobby now has a 3 nothing lead to play with. Okay. And okay. Bobby goes okay. first. All right. Let's go with Anthony Davis. Yep. Jared? 
man. I'm, I'm like, I'm nervous about this. You had all that talk、um, in the beginning, and now you're not even backing it up. Get a point. <laughs> yeah. The, the lesson to be learned is don't talk smack until you hear what the topic of the quiz is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm gonna say Kobe. Yep, he's there in 2010. I'm not convinced that LeBron was on the cover. That's the yeah, thing. It I seems don't... too obvious. But... Yeah, I. There are、one that I, let me clarify something. There are a few covers that have two or three players on it. You get、yep. you get one of them, you're fine, and、okay. the rest of the covers out. Okay.、And、How this, far does this go back, Tuck? This one goes back to 2000, but the first five years were the same guy. I'm so nervous to throw out some names for fear of just like throwing away a lead here. Oh man, it's a pressure he hasn't seen in a while. <laughs> okay, just go through it. You can do this. You got this. How about Dwayne Wade? No. No.、Oh, wow.、On. I was I was gonna guess Dwayne Wade, so I'm glad I did not do that. No. Damn. This is harder than I thought. I'm pretty sure this guy was on one of these covers. How about Michael Jordan? Yeah, he was. He was the only one that I actually remembered. Now I'm literally just throwing out names. How about Kevin Garnett? Yeah, that was.、Yes. I was gonna go with Garnett. One more for the tie. Vince Carter. Nope.、Mm, wow. Okay. All right. Okay.、Um, starting off from not this year but last year's game, Giannis and Teta Kumpo.、Mm-hmm. I butchered <laughs> the name. I'm sorry. Kyrie Irving, Paul George, Stephen Curry, and James Harden split one. Kevin Durant, LeBron was on there. Okay.、Uh, Derek Rose and Blake Griffin. Michael, Larry, and Magic, Chris Paul, Shaquille O'Neal for two, Ben Wallace made it somehow, and the first、wow. first five years of the franchise was Allen Iverson. This is not good, man. This is not it's not、good. a great showing for us, Bobby. <laughs> okay, but the big one, Madden, Jared, you're down one. Yeah. So you get first go. This starts from when? This goes back to 1999. Yeah. Okay. So. The first video game I ever bought was Madden on Nintendo 64, and the cover athlete was Eddie George. Yep, that's 2001. That's your first video game? Yes, I believe so. Nice. Mine was. I could be forgetting. Mine was Triple Play 2002 with Luis Gonzalez on the cover. Great、nice. game. Nice. Great game. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so I can't remember the year. I think it was 2006. You don't have to. But I know Sean. Al- I know Sean Alexander covered one. Yes,、year. he did, and it was 2007. Okay. okay, you don't have to know the year. It's really fine. Just to throw it out, just to flex our muscles on this, I know Marshall Falk was on one. I think it was 2003. Correct. Did you own that game too? Yep. All right. Very good. How about Tom Brady? Yeah, he was pretty recent. He was 2018. I'm going in chronological order here. I'm going back to, I believe it was '04. Was Mike Vick? I own that game too. Yeah, that was my first match. Maybe、game. the most unstoppable video game player of all time. Beg to differ. Bo Jackson, Super Tecmo Bowl. I said maybe. Okay. Said maybe. <laughs> okay, fine. Jeremy Roenick, NHL '94. I feel pretty confident that LT with Danny and Tomlinson was on the cover. Uh oh. What? Are you kidding? Wow. Wow. So what? What's the scoring、It's、here? Tied. Oh, so I only need、God. one more. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna go safe. There's a couple guys I have in mind here, but I think this might have honestly been the last Madden game that I bought. 
because it's been a while. But I, I, I think there was a year where there were two guys on the cover. It was Troy Palomalu and Larry Fitzgerald. That's both of the year after they played. That's the Super both Bowl. of them, and that's a win. That oh, is a win. I talked the talk, God. and now, Bobby, I have walked the walk. Oh, that's so disappointing. I don't deserve to be on this podcast anymore. This is atrocious. Listen, I, Josh Allen, if you're out there, if you put up a 40 piece tonight, I will replace Bobby with you as my co-host. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Wait, can I try out? I'm s- Let's <laughs> shatter up. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, by the way, you missed a bunch. Pat Mahomes. Ray Lewis is one. Uh, right? Ray Lewis, yeah. Ray Lewis is one. I'm going chronological newest to oldest. Pat Mahomes. Come on, guys. Hey, I was, I was still alive. Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, Odell Beckham, Richard Sherman, Barry Sanders twice, Calvin Johnson, Peyton Hillis of the Browns. I don't know who remembers that guy. Drew Brees, Brett Favre made it, Vince Young, Donovan McNabb, you got Ray Lewis, Dante Culpepper. Two quizzes in a row he made it on. Barry Sanders, the OG, and I counted John Madden. Quizmaster, I wish you were here to see the look of shame. On my co-host's face that, right snap now. Snap a pick. <laughs> <laughs> this is a tough pill to swallow. That... Put it out on the gram, Bobby. Oh, oh boy. Boy. Well, I... I'm done. All right, Jared, call me next week. <laughs> <laughs> Quizmaster, thank you. Bobby. I guess. I don't know, man. Bobby, why don't you make a quiz? See how we do it. Oh Lord, yeah, make a quiz and I'll still lose. This is I'm I'm in a dark place. I don't know if I'm gonna make it back to next week's episode, man. Well, yeah, we just took his manhood from him. Oof, that's a <laughs> that is rough, man. But thank you so much. We appreciate it. I'm sure this will be enjoyable for the listeners, and I'm sure I will receive numerous amounts of hate mail. Guys, it's all about the content. Let's be honest. Hundred <laughs> percent. Be well, boys. Well, Jared, episode 24, let's shut the door. Another great one in the books, perhaps our best one yet, although if we keep saying that, it's probably going to lose its meaning, right? Nah. No, that's ridiculous. They're always going to be the best one yet. because We're always we're... trending upward. Exactly. It is a steep incline. It was fantastic this week. What a great episode. Next week, we're coming back. We got more. You're not going to want to miss it. Tune in. Episode 25, a quarter of a century, Jared. Man, that makes us sound old. But we're not. We're not. We're the newest, freshest podcast out there. Tell your family. Tell your friends. They won't be disappointed. I want to first thank the Quizmaster for putting together this week's trivia, as he always does. Special thank you to Anthony DeComo for giving us a few minutes of his time. The book is available everywhere that you can find books. It's called The Captain. If you are a Mets fan, it's essential reading. I mean, David Wright is one of our guys. So go out and support Anthony DeComo. Buy his book. You can find us on Twitter at chatter underscore up. Instagram, same handle at chatter underscore up. And send us an email, chatteruppodcast at gmail.com. Will you respond to the email? I will. People have not been sending them. I've been waiting at my keyboard breathlessly for an email to come in so that I could respond. So people, I mean, I want it. I want to give this to you. 
I will literally pay somebody $5 to write you a long essay that you have to read and respond to. $5 from my pocket. Margo, that's you if you're listening. Thank you, everyone. Jared, thank you. Also known as The Undertaker. It has been a pleasure. We'll see you all next week at the 25th anniversary episode on the next Chatter Up.